Be warned, this episode will contain all manner of spoilers from both His Dark Materials and the Book of Dust series, so if you want to avoid this, cut back through to our spoiler-free read-through of the books now. Welcome to this episode of the Dark Material Podcast, where we'll be cutting through into the new world of the His Dark Materials TV adaptation, sometimes subtly, and sometimes not so much. From cages to cliff ghasts, join us on this big screen journey into the dark. I'm Ian. And I'm Amy, and this week we're talking through episode 6 of season 1 of the His Dark Materials TV adaptation, The Demon Cages. So, to start with, I guess let's go for the cast and creative awards for last week's episode, mm-hmm. episode five. Yes. Uh, I'll go with cast award first, because that was a tight run thing. Oh, was between it? Between James Cosmo, Amir Wilson, and Nina Sasanya. Mm-hmm. And I'm pleased to say, with his debut appearance, Amir Wilson has taken the uh, second prize. Whoop, 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 whoop. So, uh, you can come and collect your award from the Dark Material Podcast whenever you like, Amir. Uh, <laughs> you do need to appear on the show. So, you know, there's a quid quo pro. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, congrats, Amir Wilson. Yeah. Good first performance. A- a- excellent first performance. I'm looking forward to seeing seeing more, as we did tonight, but not, not as much as mm, I was expecting. No, anyway. no it wasn't none. Anyway. Well, a small amount, yeah. yeah. Uh, and last week's Creative Awards, we had a short list of the Pyre scene and song, uh, Cloud Pine Surfing, which turns out wasn't surfing, it was just cloud pine flying. <laughs> uh, landscapes, uh, the village ridge scene particular, and Samoyed costuming. Now, I was very disappointed with the votes this week because Samoyed <laughs> costuming, which I thought was number one, numero uno, got 6%. Yeah, so, I concur. You know. Come on, Fine. Amy. Uh, landscapes, village ridge was uh, second last mm. in 12%. Fair. Um, but a lot of people fans of the cloud pine flying slash surfing, 27%. But overwhelmingly, 55%, and I think rightly so, I was a bit miffed that you mm-hmm. came up with this one, was the Pyre scene and song. Yeah. Uh, 55%. So uh, amazing. And we also got from um, Twitter Getze pointed out that we, they, they added a deserved shout outs uh, to at Biffy Just, who was behind creating the songs, uh, both in episode mm-hmm. one of yep. the settling ceremony and in episode five. Um, and quite a lot of uh, responses then from um, various other people about enjoying enjoying the scene. Uh, and friend of the podcast, Milen. Hello, Milen. Hello. <laughs> Hi. Uh, at Miley underscore L underscore V said, if this song didn't make you shed a tear, what even are you? True. <laughs> True facts. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, this episode, we'll obviously come on to creative and cast for this week at the very end, but um, yeah, that recap at the beginning, just to start with, I genuinely don't think, if you if you haven't read the books, that will make zero sense. Yeah. <laughs> Even having watched the episodes up until then, it was like, what the <laughs> hell? Okay, I guess, yeah, some stuff has happened. Um, I don't know, I just didn't really feel like it summarised anything coherently. No, it, w- um, it was quite confusing. You could tell that they were trying to pick up on stuff that would come up in this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the Spyfly stuff, for instance. Yeah, like um, it featured heavily on Mrs. Call to the Spyfly and obviously Roger, just to remind you that these yeah, people exist. Yeah, they existed. Like, it's very of, confusing. None of the actual storyline up to this point. No, I don't know, it was odd. It was odd. It was quite odd, um, it was quite odd. But, oh, amazing intro and kind of start of the of the episode just as the recap ends with what happened last week and lara being abducted and realizing that she's in bolvanga uh then this amazing kind of ominous corridor scene of her walking through in the blizzard and there's like the wolves above of the tartar guards and stuff oh it was really good i love the perspective of being at her level and looking up and sweeping around and everything's Mm -hmm. very disorienting and scary and creepy as fuck yeah it's great and they're using the inception foghorn which is great (laughs) Wow. Yeah, yeah. For all evil things, just the general noise is, is now a staple. <laughs> I never thought of it as the exception foghorn, but that is now when it will be in my head. So yeah, yeah. well, we've covered this. We covered this in our read along when I went Rien. <laughs> oh, yeah, like episode true. one or two, it's coming back. <laughs> it's very true. It's very true. <laughs> Um, and Lyra's then taking into the cafe where we have this nice scene where she sees Roger. Mm-hmm. And I think they... they Canteen, kind of... sorry. Cafe makes it sound like just... Well, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Canteen, whatever. Cafeteria. Starbucks. Um, 
And I, I, I quite like that they recreated this scene reasonably faithfully where Lyra's sort of trying to talk to Roger but being inconspicuous and, mm-hmm. and saying, let's pretend we don't know each other. Um, obviously, she's using a pseudonym as well, so she doesn't want Roger to kind of sh- like shout out, Lyra! Mm. Um, I, thought, I thought that was really, really, really good. And we get this amazing, after, shortly after that, an external shot of Bolvanger, and it looks... It looks good. Yeah. I was a yeah. bit worried last week, I think we talked about it, that it didn't look big enough. Mm-hmm. But I think it's just because we only saw one of the buildings. Yeah, um, yeah it's clearly you know, a complex. Like a com- complex, yeah. yeah. And like, I hope this doesn't sound insensitive, but the general aesthetic summary that I've written down is it looks like a steampunk concentration camp, which I think is exactly right for Bolvanger. Uh, I'm not sure I'm getting the steampunk, but well, the big camp. red yeah. coils and you know, there's like corrugated iron with bolts through it. Well, that's just hipster, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, they would they've equal got steampunk. Of like, uh, maybe, yeah, they got lots of filament light bulbs on yeah, the wall. Yeah, which exactly. Like, Why yeah. the fuck have they got yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. It's weird. I think those are heaters, by the way, infrared heaters. That's what uh, I mean. Yeah, that makes way more yeah, sense. I, I, that's mostly what I thought about for the whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> the infrared heaters. Yeah, amazing. Mm. Time well spent. I feel. We also find out more about the fox demon and then sort of simultaneously find out nothing. I don't think we do. I think it just happens to be um, you think that's Dr. Cooper having a fox demon. Mm. Which I think is a change from the book. Or I think yeah. we don't know what well, Dr. Dr. Cooper's, Cooper's demon is. Well, Dr. Cooper's not that big of a deal. But no. yeah, the, the female scientist, the female, the female scientist. <laughs> scientist who kind of heads up the show at Bulbanger. Mm-hmm has a fox demon that I think is supposed to be the fox demon from the first two or three episodes. It's like there when all the kids are being abducted. Mm. It's a reddish fox though, and that one was a grey fox with blue eyes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to tell you any. All foxes are the same in your Who view. else could it be? And it was a man. It was a man that had that demon. How do you know that? Because we get told it's a man who whistles... Yeah, but that could I just, be I just, I just think that that was the tortured gobbler. But anyway, we, we don't really know, but I, I have a different theory to Ian, basically. Oh, uh, right. You think it was the tortured gobbler? Yeah. Not tortured as in, like, he's a tortured soul, <laughs> but the guy who was tortured mm. by Benjamin Reuters. Maybe. Either way, I don't feel like the whole, ooh, there's a strange person luring children away who has a fox yeah, demon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So far, it's not been explained, so maybe they're keeping a belter for the final two episodes. Maybe. <laughs> seems, like, seems unlikely, though, I'll be honest. one of two slightly inconsequential characters at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Let me guess who you think the other one is. What? No, the, your one. <laughs> oh, right. Go- I, thought, I, th- I thought you were about to like shit on Thomas again. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> oh. That's a great theory, though. What? Except he can't travel between the worlds, so it's a shit theory. That Thomas is the fox demon. No, yeah. that wasn't my theory. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, anyway, as Roger and Lyra are catching up in the cafeteria, uh, Bridget McGinn. Oh, is called not Bridget. Not Bridget. We McGinn. have such a strong emotional attachment We're to Bridget. We're so attached to Bridget. <laughs> um, and what is clearly a wig that she's wearing because they've already right. shaved her head. <laughs> yeah. <think>. Anyway, <laughs> Bridget McGinn gets taken away, and he, she's the first perspective for um, starting to see the severing process. And we get this. Oh, we get this creepy, creepy, creepy scene as she's lured into the into the kind of experimentation room or the intercision room or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And then the starry nurse is just staring and staring and staring and staring. And then all the electricity goes a bit haywire mm. because they're clearly pulling a lot of power. And then Dr. Keeper walks past the starry nurse, clicks at her face, and then she follows her on her heels like an obedient little little lapdog or something. Yeah, it was it's quite, yeah. Fucking Good, disturbing. Well done scene. Mm. Quite liked it. It kind of got the whole, oh, oh, oh something yeah. evil's happening. Um, starry robot nurse. Yeah. Bit too robotic. Like I feel like she's trying to play an AI, and that's no criticism necessarily on that on the actor. Just like, uh, I don't know. Too much, they're, you think? Yeah, they're supposed to be in the books. The people who've had their demons cut away, they're kind of vapid and disinterested, not literal like cyborg AI. Type. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I, I yeah, don't know. there's I something in the mean. way it's played. She kind of comes across as uh, inhuman, but not kind of in the right way. They're supposed to just be. A bit kind of, yeah, don't care. Yeah. Apathetic rather than... I, I sort of agree, yeah. but I guess it's consistent with the way that they're characterising demonless children as well. Yes. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just wrong. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> it does well, work. Well, it does we'll work. get on to that. We'll just get on to that. Not, not how it is in the books, rather and than And then, wrong. yeah, exactly. We see, we see some nice experiments with, um, with Lyra where they're kind of, you know, checking her for dust. And I really like this adaptation... Um, as well I think it was very well done scene mm. you can see that the good doctor is a bit nervous and like clearly freaked by Lyra's questioning I think that's a very nice kind of translation of, of those scenes from the book mm-hmm. um, 
I quite like that we get fleshed out some of the experiments that they're actually doing and we get to see some of it. And yeah, I don't know, I, it, yeah. just, it just felt very real and felt very, yeah, very faithful. I, I really like that scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then whilst all of this is happening, there's a fire alarm, which I think is is, is quite good. So oh, yeah, then yeah. the creepy nurse is like, go and get your clothes from the thing. Go know. and get your clothes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Lyra does and then goes out into... So I was expecting more of the disorderly sort of we haven't quite worked out what to do about yeah, a fire alarm that's right. thing. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. in this, they are in rows. They are. They do have a register. They, they mm-hmm. seem to know what they're doing, which... Um, just So just to clarify, in the books, one of the flaws that Lyra is able to um, leverage of Bolvanger is that they haven't been set up properly to necessarily deal with a fire drill. Mm-hmm. And so when they all have to go outside, it's absolute chaos. And she's able to play into that further by starting a, snow, a snowball fight, which obviously she does here as well. But it's already kind of a mess and people don't really know what they're doing and no one's got a tab on where the children are and stuff. And we get this nice conversation between Lyra and Roger, where Roger's kind of saying, we can't we can't stick out, we have to try and blend in. Anyone who asks questions that they shouldn't be or draws attention to themselves gets taken away and experimented on. And that's quite key bit of exposition versus how it happens in the book. Because in the book, Lyra is basically kind of challenging and revealing that she knows information in the experiments as well and a lot of that happens but the reason that she's taken into the intercession chamber is because she's caught eavesdropping in the vents mm-hmm. so I think it's it kind of sets up why she's then experimented on where she shouldn't really be yeah. because she's actually old enough for that to be happening and, and her demons not settling yet but I'm not sure it was wholly clear to people who haven't read the book why she was randomly called out then a bit later on in the episode yeah and I think the even if they tried to make the explanation of like Let's have the scientists talk to each other. Yeah. Because when Mrs. Coulter arrives, she asks to see the new machine in action. Yeah. So that could have been a nice yeah. random Which excuse. Which could be used. Yeah, oh, exactly. Oh, that's was asking about dust. She's clearly a liability. Yep, 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 yeah. yep. And they could have done that in half a second. Yeah. Um, but they didn't. <laughs> yeah. So Roger, which again is a kind of more more leading Roger than we have in the books. He's mm-hmm. saying, you know, we have we have to blend in, we have to do this, we have to do that. Uh, Lyra then starts the snowball fight and they're, <laughs> they're able to These, distract enough. The, the starting of the snowball fight would have liked more, like, I don't know, spontaneity or, yeah. like, the kids to actually react. I felt like it just kind of, they threw a couple of snowballs and then randomly... Everyone was throwing snowballs yeah, rather than there being any kind very, of escalation. Yeah, it was a very um, quick escalation after like a very slow start, which yeah. seemed weird. Um, yeah, anyway. so then they sneak off and they find, uh, they go into the bit that they've been told they can't go into, which is yeah. good. Uh, so guessing that there might be an exit there. Mm-hmm. And then they find this creepy room full yeah. of creepy cages. And they come it's across the demons so of the kids that have um, been through severance. And it is sad, isn't it? Because the demons are all just kind of... Curled up in the corners of the yeah. like, steel boxes. Or like beating heads yeah. against against the sides. Not the best. No. Yeah, it's interesting though, change from the book as well. That's Kaiser in the books that mm-hmm. discovers the demons with Lyra. Yeah, um, and Roger's not party, party to no. it. No, uh, and they actually free them, which I think is an interesting bit that we'll come back to at the end of the episode, but yeah. I don't know what happened to these demons, unless I just looked away or something and I they missed the freeing them the carts. They were on the carts with the Egyptians. Oh, they are in boxes. I don't know why they're were still they, in boxes, though. Were they in boxes? Yeah. Oh, I just missed why that Why didn't they just give the demons back to the kids? Right, okay. I don't know. Yeah. And also, I got the impression in the books, I can't remember the exact description, but I got the impression that they weren't as... There was some sort of change to the demons in the severing process, that they were sort of more ghostly forms of demons if that makes sense uh, I think they were actual... just like kind of weak and limpy not not oh, okay. physically See, I've always made of anything slightly before. ghostly and then when, when the doors get open they obviously drift and, and oh. disperse no no they're just they're birds I think they they all like struggle to change into birds and even when they do yeah. change they can't really like fly oh, yeah, that good and all that stuff oh yeah they do fly off the desert okay um, yeah. I don't know why I have a different picture in my head they're sort of like low power demons <laughs> <laughs> yeah nerfed demons <laughs> And after this as well, Roger then asks an excellent question, which is, if these are the demons, where are the children? Mm. Which is a really good point and isn't really covered in the books necessarily. Because if you think about it, we know that Tony survives long enough to go and be found in the village. True. And that other other kids have been seen or or whatever. Mm. But if the kids died, presumably the demons would disappear. Yeah, yeah, but in the book, some of the cages are empty. 
for the yes, demons that have died. But there, yeah. are, there are more. But there are loads there of are demons left. Yes, yes, that's right. Yeah. So where are the kids? Uh, just wandering around the tundra. <laughs> I don't think we ever get an answer to that. No, I don't know actually. I don't think the implication is that they're still in Bilvanga. Or that they're like um, cast out after they've been experimented on. Mm. But anyway. Yes, yeah, not sure. Someone yeah. out there, let us know if you know definitively. Mm. I got the impression, yeah, they're just like, <laughs> the doors are left open and they wander out. Um, but yeah, I don't know. So yeah, another change here because we find we find the children. Yeah, so they're sat in this room again, like a really like the worst hostel in the world, <laughs> um, and it's interesting that they're all sat sort of, or some of them at least, are sat counting. Mm. Which in the previous episode we see Will's mum counting bricks, oh, yeah. and in the subtle knife we see that um, Angelica's brother. Mm-hmm who obviously we've not been introduced to in either our read-along yeah. or um, or this, but uh, in order to try and fend off the spectres, he starts counting or trying to pay focused attention to yeah. um, to some stonework. And I don't know if this is supposed to be a subtle hint at that, that having had your That's demon cut away, you maybe start adopting some of these spectre fending off behaviours, like counting and... Um, I don't know, being very concentrated on something. That's super interesting. Conjecture. Conjecture. I like that conjecture, though. Mm. And only only mixed-sex dormitory that we get in the... Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, right. Oh, that's because it. I didn't come on to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Mm. 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 And one other bit that they've changed or missed from the books is that we clearly get in the books that the kids are being experimented on because their demons are starting to settle or because they're starting to mature. And I guess we had the conversation with Mrs. Coulter and Lyra um, about puberty mm-hmm. and that being an important part uh, in this whole experimentation. But I do wonder if it's clear for non-book readers exactly why oh. um, some kids are being picked out for experimentation and others aren't. Probably not unless you've got an incredible memory nope. for the conversation with Father Coram yeah. about three episodes ago. Yeah. 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 Good point. So it's, it's yeah, I thought that's something that's been potentially missed. I'm not... Mm, well, oh, yes, the, there is, yeah. I think but, the conversation with Mrs. Coulson makes it perfectly clear yes, and kind of sets up the rest of the trilogy perfectly. The, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's it's not entirely clear otherwise yeah. why they had to steal children to do all of this. Yeah, fair. Well, we cut then to uh, the two scientists, so Dr. Cooper and Assistant A. And other, um, yeah. Do they have a name in the book? I don't think so. Yeah, not sure. If they do, not important. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they have a quick discussion about the fact that they are close to completing their work mm-hmm. um, and that soon they'd basically be free to leave. Mm-hmm. The assistant A is <laughs> still clearly got, he has some moral qualms with what uh-huh. they're doing. Whereas Dr. Cooper is, I, and I kind of like this addition, she's very much religiously sort of motivated, mm-hmm. or it seems like it anyway, mm-hmm. um, that they're doing some greater good for mankind and you know that this is the first step in... I haven't got the exact quote that she said, but basically helping all future generations yeah. with some short-term pain or short-term evil, mm-hmm. which I think is really interesting. So I don't, I don't think in the book there's any real explanation as to why the scientists are no. comfortable doing this. No. Um, Dr. Um, Cooper is then interviewed by the Magisterium in later books about, about their work and their involvement at mm-hmm. Bolmanger. But I think, and Dr. Cooper, by the way, in the books is a man. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, in the in that particular scene, he's sort of more worried about the power that the magisterium has over him personally, rather than necessarily being that religious. But I quite like this as a change. It makes yeah. more sense. Yeah, in the books, you definitely get the sense that maybe he's more of a just curious scientist yeah. rather than like a religious nut. Yeah, <laughs> um, and definitely cowed by authority. Whereas yeah. this is like I don't know a much more interesting yeah. character. I think. We then get a totally random uh, cut from Lyra being asleep on her bed through to Will in his bedroom watching yes. a video of his uh, of his dad. On, on um, the BBC, no less. On the BBC, yes. yeah. Good good self-reference, BBC, we like it. <laughs> I uh, love when the BBC do that in, in dramas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know, this whole scene where he then walks through and tucks his mum in and the Thomas and the other spy are still sat there watching assistant Will's one. house. Spy. <laughs> spy yeah. assistant one. Yeah. I don't know, it just felt like a reminder. We're still here. Okay, now we can go back to everything else. Yeah. I think that was like a good amount of will. It was a good amount of will, need, yeah. I was thinking about this before the episode started. I was like, they do need to keep alive this character, but also not distract from everything that's about to be happening with Lyra, yeah. which is a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think this is quite a good balance. Um, I also like that the two spies, Thomas and Co., um, Thomas et al., <laughs> uh, basically said 
that they haven't gone into the house yet. Mm-hmm. So as we were talking about last week, oh, yes, it's course. not entirely clear. It wasn't entirely clear then that Elaine Pal- Parry was being paranoid about mm-hmm. people being in her house when actually that isn't the case. And yeah. I think we understand now that they haven't been in Although did house. he say, why haven't you gone in? As in like right now, like this I second. I interpreted it, it as, as ever. Ever. Okay. I wasn't sure I was, uh, yeah. I but was that, that is my interpretation, to be fair. It wasn't entirely clear, mm. so. Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, bit bit of a random scene. It's like, hey guys, Will still exists. Okay, now back to the action. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and, and the action is 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 her. Yeah. And the Zeppelin. Yeah, Miss Coulter arrives. And when she's striding through Bovanger, uh, she's talking to Dr. Cooper and the other doctors about their latest experiments. They've, um, they report back some interesting things here. One is that they remain conscious throughout the operation and retain some consciousness after and are getting more mm. and more conscious as time passes. Mm-hmm. Um, they also say that five have survived, as in, we're doing great, five, five have survived. But then it's confusing because there are more than five children later on, so that's yeah. a bit inconsistent. And more than five demons. And more than five demons. Interesting. So, question mark? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But, you know. Well, that could just be the new process. And then there could be oh, some hangovers from the previous one. Five have survived with the new process. That's what I'm going like to say. Three survive from the yeah. first one. Yeah. Yeah. Out of a cohort okay. of three million. Cool. That <laughs> yeah. that makes it that makes it better. Um and we get the point where Mrs. Coulter wants to see it as we've alluded to. Uh we then come back to Lyra freaking out in the girls' dormitory because she knows that Mrs. Coulter is coming. Mm-hmm. And I quite like how we see um her building a relationship with Annie um yeah. and the other girls and wanting to win their trust so that they can help her and she uses um the fact that Mrs. Coulter is her mother as a way to get them to help with that. Yeah. And she reveals a lot more more quickly mm-hmm. than I think she does in the books, but I think no, it's necessary the, yeah. for pacing and yeah, development yeah. of this. In the book, she's so. under the skies of being Lizzie for a... Yeah. Uh, for, well, actually, no, for the whole time, but... Um, yeah, revealing that she has any relationship to Mrs. Coulter is not really from the book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we then get Mrs. Coulter... Like coming into the dormitory, and just in advance of this, Annie tells Lyra to basically go under the bed and then suspend your body weight hanging underneath <laughs> the bed for as long as I tell you to, or until I give you the signal to stop, or whatever. <laughs> so we get this, uh, I don't know, it's a slightly odd scene. I guess it builds tension, but I'm not entirely sure why it needed to be in there. I don't know, maybe. Anyway, uh, where Mrs. Coulter is talking to the girls in the dormitory, like, praising them for being so well turned out and like yes. keeping this place clean They're nice shiny stuff. faces she loves talking about yeah, their faces yeah. it's very strange well the monkey is basically stalking around not looking under the beds because that would be a bit uh, you know on the Obvious, nose yeah, yeah. Um, but he's obviously at under the bed height yeah uh, and Lyra is trying to hold herself up off the ground um, and she does so there we go good scene all around <laughs> <laughs> I don't know it, it sort of worked to build a bit of tension and fear for Mrs. Coulter yeah but it didn't lead to anything particularly. You know, no, Mrs. It, it leads to her gaining the trust of all the girls, I suppose. Yes, I suppose so. But if Mrs. Coulter had, in talking to the girls, revealed something that Lyra yeah. heard that then she shouldn't have heard, right. blah, 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 so that could have been something yeah. nice to weave in. I don't know, it just felt a bit like, oh, we have tension. Oh, um, tensions, tensions are always Yeah, good. no, no, yeah. it's fine, yeah, it's fine. And I thought the monkey was good again. Like, just, it comes across as very kind of creepy and malevolent. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think the monkey. I thought at one point well. the monkey was going to like sniff Lara's bed and be like, "She's here." <laughs> <laughs> it kind of was getting to that level. Uh, so then we kept back to the cafeteria, and Lyra and Annie um, are sat having some kind of lunch or dinner or something, uh, and discussing their next plans. And then Lyra gets called by the nurse. Now, as we've sort of mentioned, that's probably because she's seen as dangerous because of asking about dust. But it's not mm. really clear, and it kind of comes a bit out of the blue, and it's. Again, it sort of doesn't really make sense, especially if you didn't, if you haven't read the books. I'm sure that would be quite confusing, as in like, why, why are they, mm-hmm. why are they calling her now? But anyway, so sorry, just very quickly before that, yeah. we get this scene of Egyptians struggling over mountain passes. Oh yes, yeah, which that's true. It's not really in the books, but I quite like the Lord of the Ringsy yeah. style reference. Exactly, um, and it's also like they're very far away, and it's not easy terrain, so yeah, yeah, yeah. She can't count on them. But it's good. It's good to just just as a reminder, you know, they're, they're coming. They're, they're coming. coming. They'll right. get there in three oh, years' yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah anyway, way, sorry. Yeah. Go on. <laughs> um. So Lyra starts going along with the nurses, and then freaks out and and tries to run away. Mm. And then we get the moment where the doctor grabs Pan. Yeah. And it's interesting because Lyra basically just faints and Pan faints as well. Yeah. And it sort of makes the butterfly scene with Lord Boreal make so much more sense. 
Okay. Where he grabs Adele Starmonster's butterfly mm-hmm. and she just kind of like faints in the corner of the car. Yeah. Well, you, you have a confused face. But what's I, your conf- I don't... What's the face confusion? Well, I don't know. There's, there's no explanation of, the, of why it's a taboo. Like, if, if I oh, could just I like make people faint by grabbing their demon, what's to stop me from doing it? Yeah. And I think the Boreal obviously didn't show disgust at touching another person's demon because mm-hmm. he's like more psychopathic in this, I mm-hmm. guess. Um, and this doctor showed some reluctance, but it wasn't necessarily like, oh, yeah. I'm touching another person's demon. And he's like holding Pan out at arm's length. Yeah, I'm not sure not... it was clear though. Yes. I, yeah, it, yeah. I guess because they've made him a more relatable character in that he's having qualms about what he's doing in general. Yeah. Yeah, it just yeah, comes across yeah. as like, oh, That's I'm true. not sure I'm okay with like kind of subduing mm-hmm. this child mm-hmm. so that we can cut her demon away. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. Though uh, he just fling Pan into the cage, kind of like, yeah. Ugh! <laughs> yeah, and I can't really remember if at any point we have had the explanation that you shouldn't touch another person's demon. I can't remember no. if that's been covered in previous I don't, episodes. I don't think but, it has. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 in an ideal world, I would have liked there would have been, mm. to have been some clarification yeah. on that. But I think the fainting makes sense because in the yeah. books, that's kind of the reaction that it's just yeah. absolute shock when she's fighting yes. the scientists in the book yeah. and one of them grabs her demon. She is just like, she just goes limp. Yeah. It, the shock of it that kind of overwhelms her. Yeah. Um, so I thought that kind of worked. Mm-hmm. So Lyra is then bundled into one part of um, this machine, this severance oh. machine, and Pantalaimon is thrown unceremoniously <laughs> into the other. I really like this whole scene. I oh, thought it was really so quite good. faithful so, to the I, books. I love the way that Lyra um, fought. Yeah. Really hard. Yeah, yeah. It was just hard. Uh, and it looks like she's genuinely struggling, and the actors yeah. must have had a bit of a time, like being like, okay, let's. <laughs> she must have kicked the yeah, ball exactly. accidentally yeah, so many times. Yeah. But then once Lyra is locked in the cage, she starts sort of shouting at them that she knows Mrs. Coulter, that Mrs. Mm. Coulter wouldn't want this. Mm. And as she's doing this, Assistant A <laughs> is kind of going, uh, maybe we should listen to her, yeah. to Dr. Cooper. And I don't know. I think Dr. Cooper's reaction here makes no sense at all. Yeah. She's just like blindly, yeah, like we've got to do the machine, close the doors. Uh, press all the buttons now. Yeah. Press if, the big button. If you leave the doors open, bad things happen. <laughs> nope. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I, if if you were Dr. Cooper and you were the lead scientist and you were basically scared of Mrs. Coulter, which is the whole sort of point of a lot yeah. of this. You would listen to that, like this random kid knowing who your effective boss is. I don't think knowing Mrs. Coulter's name is necessarily that impressive, though, because surely the other kids would know it. I don't really understand. No, I don't think think the implication is that they totally wouldn't. Like, how would they? How could they possibly? Well, they know it in the books. They would just just hear people talking about Mrs. Coulter coming to visit. Oh, yeah, no. Otherwise, why would it be like. The lady who always comes. With yeah, the, like, no, that's true. And they've all coming. met her because, yeah, 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 she abducted them in the first place. So I don't really understand why that was such a big, like, oh my God, she knows her name. Oh. Mm. Yeah. Are you convincing me of this? I don't know. As it, as it was played <laughs> in the episode, though, the fact Lyra knew who she was was a cause yeah, yeah, of concern. Yeah. And I just think Dr. Cooper wouldn't have blindly carried on with the severingness. Yeah. Or, or um, even her saying, like, I'm her daughter or something. That yes. would be a bit like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. She does kind of look like her. Yeah. <laughs> you know, should we listen mm. to this? Anyway, yeah, Lyra does then start shouting, I'm her, I'm her daughter. Yeah. And Mrs. Coulter comes in and she starts shouting, mother, very heartrending. Um, this bit. Pulling, pulling on the heartstrings to be like, yo, can you get yeah. me out of this cage? Uh, Listeners, you will not be shocked to learn that I cried. Did Amy do crying? Okay. Yeah. So yeah, basically Mrs. Coulter goes and shuts the machine down and um, gets Lyra the fuck out of the machine, reaching her hand out to the glass. Yeah. Which is one of the pre trailery teasery things that's been floating around for months. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Coulter reaching out to that uh, and touching her fingers against the glass. And reminds us of the golden monkey doing that to Mrs. Coulter when she was bouncing on the edge of the balcony and when yeah. she was drunk and yeah. like, you know, almost falling, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what the monkey yeah. did. Yeah, true that. Yeah. So I, I don't know, I really, really I liked this whole scene. Um, I loved this scene. I think it's slightly more powerful in the book, but that's totally understandable because the narrator can go into Lyra's head and sort of describe her feelings more and she's a, she's a little bit more tearful Lyra mm. um, and you get the sense that the, the sense of fear and doom that she's about to be parted from Pan yeah. more powerfully but I just think that's the medium I don't think that's any reflection on the TV series I think this was done extremely well yeah I felt they were both strong in different ways I felt this mm-hmm. was stronger in terms of Lyra and Mrs. Coulter's relationship yeah 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 for this sure this made a but... lot more sense to me 
and was a lot more powerful to me in the moment where she's shouting mother and she makes eye contact with Mrs. Coulter and yeah. that's that whole moment. That was much more powerful for me in this than it was in the books. But you're right, I guess yeah. the idea of her being separated from Pan wasn't really communicated. Mm. And we didn't really see Pan. No, that's true. <laughs> Pan's reaction to any of this. Yeah. But the focus in the books isn't on Lyra's connection to Mrs. Coulter as a mother. No, and I, I, I so know. That's just that's, new and different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, that's why I sort of enjoyed that part more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then once they're reunited, uh, we cut to Lyra and Mrs. Coulter's apartment, basically, which is kind of very closely to what I imagine Mrs. Coulter's apartments in Mulvang are looking like. <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. yeah, the sort of concrete version of her apartment in London. Yeah. Which is good. Um, and we have... Oh, there's just so much in this conversation between mm. those two. Um, it's really good. So she starts off, uh, you know, reassuring Lyra, trying to persuade her to drink some chamomile tea and asking her, you know, you can ask me any question that you want. I can guess what your first one will be, so I'll answer that one first. I didn't keep you um, because of Avri- Asriel's ideas, basically. It wasn't that I didn't want you. It was because it would have been a bad idea for both of us. Um, yeah. and I wasn't equipped at that time to, mm-hmm. to handle that situation. Yeah. Which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. Do we get that explanation in the books? You don't get the Asriel bashing. Right. And I know I'm number one Asriel fan, so I would say <laughs> that. And actually, you know, in the books, I don't even think that they talk as mother and daughter. Mm. I don't think... I'd have to read it, but I don't know. I don't think they ever end up talking as mother and daughter openly if that makes sense yeah. like Lyra knows that Mrs. Coulter is her mum in this scene Yeah. Mrs. Coulter doesn't know that Lyra knows and I don't think there's ever a mutually understood conversation between the two of them No. where they both know what they both know that they know who knows no exactly <laughs> that's my memory of this scene in the book as well and yeah as you said I don't think they necessarily have that out um, mm. the other bit about um, Asriel having ideas or it being his fault somehow uh-huh. I don't think that's in it at all and again, you know, number one Asriel fan, as I said before, I would say that. But, yeah. I think the she wasn't equipped as a mother. Yeah, yeah, That yeah. makes total sense, and I can't remember in all honesty, but I'm pretty sure something basically like that is in the book. Yeah. Um, we, we only hear it secondhand, to be fair. We don't yes. ever hear it from her. And yes. the secondhand is, she wasn't interested in Lyra. Yeah, so and that could be very much change. accusatory or something yeah. else. But, yeah, I don't, I don't think we ever, even secondhand, for example, hear that... I don't know, Asriel didn't want Mrs. Coulter to, and him to raise her or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It might be, though, that what she meant in that scene was he had ideas about Lyra being given to, well, Jordan College or given to, yeah, you know, a school or something like that, mm-hmm. rather than he had ideas about them just not raising her. Yeah. But it, I don't know, I, I it sort of read to me in the scene a bit like some blame on Asriel for kind of encouraging Mrs. Coulter to give up her child. They are pitting her against him quite a lot. Yeah. Which is interesting. And also making her a more relatable character, which is also interesting. That's a good thing, though. I think that's, that is a yeah. good thing. So she talks a bit about how she will never let anyone else harm her again, that she's going to protect Lyra, mm-hmm. um, that they wouldn't have considered doing what what they almost did to Lyra if they knew who she was, mm-hmm. which is, you know... I don't know if she's had her alethiometer question back yet about <laughs> who is Lyra Blackcutt. Yeah. Does she know who she is yet? I don't know. Um, they also have a really interesting conversation about dust. And Lyra brings it up saying this is about dust, isn't it? And she says, uh, dust is not a good thing. Um, saying that adults are infected mm. with dust and that for them it's too late. And that she's wanting to create a better life for future adults by kind of severing before puberty, basically. And before all the torment of of those... What does she call it? She doesn't say desires, but she uses a different... Um, thoughts, thoughts and thoughts, feelings. Thoughts no? and feelings, potentially, yeah, yeah um, mm. that, that arise during puberty. So this is like the clearest explanation we've had of dust so far in this series. I mm. think it's quite quite good that they're laying it out like that up front and that we get this from Mrs. Coulter as well. I think yeah. that was really nicely handled, so... Mm-hmm. I enjoyed that. And Lyra he goes back at her about the evil of doing this and how, oh, mm-hmm. it's hypocritical. If you think it's good, then why Absolutely. not leave it? Uh, why not let it happen to me as well? Um, and Mrs. Coulter basically explains, well, yes, there are, I don't know, <laughs> eggs to break an omelette or some equivalent. Yeah. She doesn't say that, obviously. That would she be a bit crass. But there's sometimes necessary to sacrifice the few, the few for, for the many. The few for the many, sure. Yeah. yeah, and I guess while it's in that state of prototyping, MVP, <laughs> um, it's not... Uh, it's not 
acceptable for it to be used on Lyra. At least for Not Mrs. good enough for my daughter. Yeah, exactly, from Mrs. Coulter's <laughs> point of view. And Lyra's obviously super sceptical and pissed off at this and sees the hypocrisy and the kind of evil under it. And they, they go back and forth a bit. And I've just got, I did quite one line when Mrs. Coulter says, you will see all I've done to write this world for you as an explanation of this evil, but presumably multiple others as well, which I think is really interesting. And not in the books. Yeah. Um, she she sort of becomes a mother in book three when she's looking after Lyra in the cave. And yeah. um, that's when her maternal side seems to kick in. But I really like this change that yeah. it's from way further back. And even if she hasn't been able to be a mother directly, she's trying to you know, quash evils in the world and is mm-hmm. being a bit, well, being very single-minded and destructive in that effort for the sake of her daughter. I think yeah. that's a great little, like, change to Mrs. Coulter's character. It's so good. It's so good. And I also like that we get her talking about it being her calling. Mm-hmm. And she also says that she's sorry. Yes. Yeah. But she doesn't say, I'm sorry. She says, I'm sorry. Yeah. And that's almost like the first time she has to say it, it's almost difficult to mm-hmm. to get it out. And that was really nicely played by Ruth Wilson. Yeah. This whole scene was just beautiful. I also quite like another change in the book where Lyra is, as you say, asking, um, well, if it's so great, why aren't you letting it happen to me? You should be pleased uh, for me to be separated from Pan. And she says much more clearly it's because the equipment isn't safe enough yet, or at least that's the impression she seems to give. Whereas mm-hmm. in the book, it's very, very much more kind of, uh, don't worry about it. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, this is these matters are more complicated than the mind of a child can go yeah. around pat pat. Exactly. Move on. Yeah. Don't think about it. So I think this is a bit more of a believable answer, mm-hmm. even if it's not necessarily the truth. Yeah. We then get another weird bit, which, you know, champion defender of Azrael, <laughs> I'm happy to bring up, where Mrs. Coulter kind of says that it's time for Lyra to pick a side, mm. which I assume Choose who means, you belong to. Yeah, between Azrael and Coulter. Shit. And like, what? It's a bit weird, isn't it? It's really weird, because it's not clear that there are two sides to no. Lyra, or necessarily to the audience, to or at least... We know what Mrs. Coulter's side is, but no idea what Azriel's is, really. Yeah. He's shown a couple of slides to some people in Jordan, told, told Roger that everyone's special, and then gone away. <laughs> <laughs> That's the sum total of what we know about Lord Azriel, really. He did shout a lot about being on the side of truth and knowledge, though. Yeah, I suppose so. So. Um, yeah, but I don't know. Like, it's I know not, what you mean. It's not clear mean. what the it's two sides clear. here are, other than choose your mum or your dad. Yeah, um, which is, I guess, what the implication is yeah, for this. Yeah, thing. yeah, but I just thought that was slightly weird it was slightly weird but I think it also it seems like the sort of thing that Mrs. Coulter would say well this version of Mrs. Coulter would say in terms of like wielding power and and wanting to clearly own Lyra yes, or maybe. control Lyra yeah, it yeah. makes sense in that context mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but yeah you're right it's kind of confusing <laughs> anyway Lyra then gives Mrs. Coulter the tin containing the spy fly and yeah. in prizing it open it flies out and hits the monkey in the face or her in the face uh, I can't remember now. Don't remember. I think it possibly hits. It's one of them, them in the face. But, yeah. Um, and I'm very disappointed because we saw her getting the spy fly back that actually wasn't captured. <laughs> yeah. We didn't see what she did with it. No, it's obviously did she get projection. Any information? Projection on the wall. Did she get any information about where Lyra was? Why yeah. didn't she then find Lyra? Projection. It's very confusing. They were moving. <laughs> I don't. I don't like it. I want to see what happened. <laughs> um, so yeah, Lyra then runs out of uh, the room yep. and uh, closes this electronically locked door behind her and smashes the keypad. Smashes that um, shit up. And then you get a weird scene where they're both just screaming at the door, <laughs> which That's slightly weird, wasn't it? it and was, then Pan's like that. That, that's enough now. Yeah, like should, it should kind of works, as in you can see that Lyra is just panicking and trying to get away, and Mrs. Coulter is desperate to um, keep hold of her, but. It, I don't know. After, it kind after, of worked for me, but I think it went on for like. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say after the first ten seconds of screening, <laughs> screaming, it was a bit like, okay, why are they both still shouting at this door? Ten seconds screaming. Session. But once Lyra left and Mrs. Coulter continued to scream at the door, that was then excellent door oh, screaming. Right. You're very specific about your screaming time. Yeah, yeah. That final scream, door scream <laughs> with hands on door, um, was That's very good. well done. Top yeah. screaming. So then Lyra smashes up some fire alarm on her way, uh, creates some general confusion, meets up with Roger and explains, uh, in the meantime, Roger's percolated the idea through the boys that uh, they should all get ready next time there's the next fire alarm, get their outdoor clothes on and move out, be ready to to escape, basically. Mm-hmm. So whilst all that's happening, Lyra gives Roger a task, which is to go and persuade the demonless children to come with them. Mm-hmm. 
which is interesting. And I quite like that he's getting a bigger bigger role in this than he does in the book. Yeah, yeah. And meanwhile, Lyra has other shit to do, basically. She's gonna cause <laughs> she's gonna cause some confusion, I think, is what she said. Yeah. She's gonna cause, cause some chaos. Cause chaos so yeah. she goes back to the room where her outdoor clothes were stored, which is presumably where the alethiometer is. We don't uh, get any yes, interaction no, no, with the alethiometer. So. We don't get her getting to keep it as a toy. Like no, that's true. That's true. But eh, it doesn't really anyway. matter because, yeah. Yeah. And then we get what I just noted down as dressing montage. Yeah. Rapid dressing. Bam, 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 bam. Oh my God, we've got so much time to, so little time to put on some sorts. Super stressful dressing because yeah. so little time, so many layers. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it was very slow, but Daphne <laughs> Keen was doing her best. Yeah, and then creepy robot nurse turns up. Oh, shit. Uh, and Lyra just puts her in a place where we're like, where's your demon? And she's like, oh, yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> Not, not not, before she says, this is the best place you could possibly be. It's the best place in the world. <sighs> boop, beep, beep, boop, boop. Nicholas. Yeah. So, I don't know. <laughs> slightly, slightly over the top generally. But yeah. Lyra confounds this nurse by reminding her, you know, you had a demon once. And she's like, short circuit. So it's the idea that she doesn't have any demon in this. Yes, I think so. Which well, again, so this whole time she's just not had a demon. I think so. Well, yeah, because otherwise she she would just look down at the floor and be like, "Oh, there he is." In the books, it's a little trotting dog that is yeah. just clearly vapid and not imaginative or expressive at all. Interesting. Um, Interesting. We then get Lyra going into the big machine room and yes. pressing all the buttons and getting it to basically self destruct. And happens very easily. I know this is a really specific reference, <laughs> but it really reminds me of Spider Man Two with Doctor Octopus, <laughs> the film. Where, okay. like, his big machine turns into right. this massive magnet that starts to suck in all of New York City. Okay. I think that's the implication of this scene, that in turning it on, it sort of magnetises itself and the door yeah. gets ripped in. It's kind of confusing. It does seem to destruct very easily, suspiciously yeah. easily. Also, I thought they were setting up the whole Egyptian throwing flower at a gas ring thing. Oh, yeah. As being part of Ashi's Arts, the explosion in Bolvanger. Yeah. And then they just didn't do that. I nope. don't know if they wrote a version of that that then didn't happen, but... Yeah, yeah no, there's not, there wasn't. That. Yeah, but I can, you know, destroying the machine as the mechanism for destroying Bolvanger—that's yeah. fine because makes, makes perfect sense. Makes perfect yeah. sense. The Egyptians' arrival, however, makes no fucking sense. <laughs> <laughs> you got all these kids like running towards a door that turns out to be locked, and then these two um, Samoyed hunters or uh, soldiers, yeah. or the Sibirsk riflemen, I guess. Yeah, they'll be. be the Tatars. Um, and uh, assistant A, yeah. who basically says, now, calm down, children. Let's all just go back to the, your dorms and yeah. it'll all be fine. And then Marcosta randomly appears and breaks his neck. <laughs> what the <laughs> fuck? It's like... It's, it's intense. It's, it's very intense, it's isn't it? Weird. It's weird. Some, some tiny... I guarantee this is an editing decision where, like, we just need to cut this episode down because it's too long. Some scene where the Egyptians are approaching the camp, or like Eurek Bernison's and the run, and then there's a few of them running towards the buildings, and then bang, you cut inside, have the scene with the kids, and the Egyptians, you know, come cascading in. It's not that unusual to have people just randomly appearing in the nick of time. Oh, but it was just so random. Really? Yeah, I, I didn't felt feel so. That. No, I, I, didn't feel I that thought at it was all. just like, oh, what the fuck? I thought they were halfway up a mountain like two seconds ago. No, no, time passes. Time, oh, time, time passes. Time passes. Mm. Yeah, that was a day ago. It was fine. Yeah, but Mark Oster becoming a cold-blooded like murderer—that's just. Yeah, I don't know how hard it is to break someone's neck like that, but presumably pretty hard. But, uh, yeah. It's also not the difficulty, Amy. It's more the, the ethics and the, you know, cold-bloodedness. Yeah. Not the, oh, yeah, does she have the was, physical strength? He was involved in, like, you know, murdering Billy, so... She doesn't know that. How could she possibly well, She does. She talked to him. And she he, he said, I was just following orders. And then she's like, fuck you, Oh, for orders. like half a second. I don't know. I think this makes her a massive psychopath. I get, I get that it's revenge. Mm. But what, is she just going to literally break the neck of every adult in this compound? That feels... <laughs> Like a disproportionate <laughs> amount of revenge. Um, they could they could gain use by uh, you know questioning them. Yeah. They could gain some. Anyway, yeah, it was strange and surprising. I sort of enjoyed it. And then just as some um, sneaky Tartar is sneaking up on on the Egyptians, uh, we then get a gunshot from the other end of the corridor. Yeah. And it's. Lily, 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 Lily,
And meanwhile, Mrs. Coulter is in the vaults, by the way. We should point that out. Oh, yeah, yeah. She climbs up into the vaults, which I think was quite... Is it was good. It's good they had someone... The vents. In... Vents. Yeah. <laughs> vents, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. It's good that we had someone in the vents. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, Larry wasn't in the vents, but no, Mrs. that's true. in the vents, though. That whole scene yeah. in the book is good. missing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, links, links back to uh, the monkey's penchant for mm-hmm. vents. And how she lands when she comes out of the vents, very <gasps> monkey-like. Yeah. That was good. That I was love that. Cool. I, yeah. I also wrote down... Monkey like exclamation mark mm. and put um, also finally wearing sensible shoes. Was she? Yeah. Oh, I thought she landed in heels. No, she's wearing boots, uh, but they're okay. not heeled boots. I don't think. No, nice. If they are heeled boots, I'm annoyed. <laughs> okay. Just like break an ankle, but yeah. yeah. Uh, so Mrs. Coulter sort of sits on the desk for a bit looking like a monkey going look everyone everyone do you see the monkey vibes monkey, <laughs> monkey reference I have a monkey demon I'm, I'm a monkey. very monkeyish and then she gets off the desk like a monkey yeah um, <laughs> which is which was oh yeah I, uh, yeah I like that bit you enjoyed the monkey bit and then we get this fight in the courtyard where you've got Far Decorum not John Far, strangely yes swinging a hammer around which was interesting. Which is interesting. Which is interesting. Doesn't really matter though. The fact the hammer. No, but made it I wanted him too. to have his little stick thing that he fights with. Maybe that's what it was. I don't. I don't know if it, it was, was very big. Definitely a hammer. It was very big. It, I, I don't think it was his whatever mm. his stick is. Yeah. Kenyo. I can't remember. Anyway. Uh, yeah, from the, the fighty stick. It wasn't his fighting stick. Mm. It was too big for that, I think. But we did see for John Farr with um, his hammer. In like on episode three, that's true. Or whatever the it hammer was. exists. The so hammer is there. The it's hammer, fine. the hammer is somewhere in the franchise. There's also and fighting in corridors. It's chaotic. Yeah. Yorick's there at some point, oh, yeah, and yeah. you know it's great. And then there's just weirdest fucking bit. <laughs> Seraphina shoots someone with an arrow, which is you know that, that makes sense. So far, so good. Did, they're attacking Lyra, I think. Well, they're about to because the yeah. doctor says, "Go get that one." That's yeah, the only yeah, kid. yeah, yeah. That's, that's the only child that matters. <laughs> um, and so that uh, soldier gets shot with an arrow, which is mm-hmm. you know per the books. And then everything kind of goes a bit still, and Serafina just turns into a superhuman. A mix yes. between Nightcrawler from the X-Men and Trinity from the Matrix. <laughs> it's so odd. I thought it was like um, the game Shadow of Mordor, if that means anything to anyone. It was Sh- niche ex- almost exactly yeah. like that. That yeah, was yeah. what I immediately thought. And I sort of have very conflicted feelings about it, because on the one hand, I'm like, this is great, this is very badass and cool, yeah. and like, Serafina's just fucking awesome. Yeah. But also, no. Too awesome. Too awesome. Uh, uh, no, I agree. I, I still haven't made up my mind. It is so simultaneously divided. the best and the worst. Uh, um, yeah. I think I disliked it in this particular episode because it brought me out of the moment. and it Sure. It, I don't know. It sort of felt a bit um, discordant at yeah. that particular point in time. And also, I would have liked to have seen other witches fighting with her, her yeah. running the rest of her clan. Sure. Um, I The only thing but, I hope is yeah. that if and when we get into a fight between the armoured bears and the witches, that the bears are equally well-equipped to deal with that kind of superhuman level speed and whatever else. Because at least then if you've got like, oh, okay, it's just that humans are a bit shit. But witches, bears, maybe Mm -hmm. other creatures in Philip Pullman's universe Mm -hmm. are just, yeah, well, superhuman yeah. Um, not everything, not all of them all the time. We see that with the cliff casts. Yeah. They aren't suddenly superhuman. But uh, that would be fine if it's just there are some rarefied sort of species of human that are better or species of conscious being that are just, you know, faster, stronger, whatever it might be. Mm. Um, but yeah, if somehow the witches are just way better than everything else, then the rules of the universe start to crumble a bit. Yeah. Because they're not supposed to be just total dominant. Like, when they fight the bears, they get killed. Like, they keep getting shot with fire hurlers and ripped out of the sky when the bears jump up and catch them. Yeah. Like, there's some equality. The witches aren't just indomitable. Mm Mm-hmm. So... And also with humans as well. Yeah, they get shot. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, it's interesting. So, yeah, I think I'm falling more on the side of just... Nah. Not enjoying it, but also I really enjoyed the Nah, we'll, we'll see, we'll see. Uh, I, I I'm going to remain out on the jury, because yeah. I think a bit more, like, supernatural power in some of the forces in Philip Pullman's world makes sense, and there's probably room for it. Yeah. And we get into, like, the third book, this kind of shit would be amazing for yeah. the, like, big battle. Oh, my God. Yeah. Good point. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I stand by my point that if they would take some humanity away from Yorick and give it to Serafina, that would be great. Yeah. Because I yeah. feel like the balance is just slightly off for me. Yeah, fair enough. So whilst all that's happened, Roger brings out the kids and there's kind of this nice moment where everyone's 
looking at all the kids in their little red blankets with their little shaved heads. <laughs> yeah, the monk, uh, the monk children. <laughs> the monk children. Yeah. And then Mark Oster just starts to hug them and Lyra starts to hug them and people are just kind of like trying to warm them and give them some sympathy and mm-hmm. give them some love. All of this, by the way, all of this time, Mrs. Coulter is kind of spying from a door, yep. which is very unusual and strange, and I'm not really sure what to make of it, but at, at seeing Lyra being affectionate towards these children and seeing that basically the fight is over, she essentially retreats away from that door and mm-hmm. sort of removes herself from doing anything different, which I guess makes sense because there's nothing she can do. She's completely yes. overpowered by the other force, so... You know, makes logical sense for her to move away, but I, th- I think it's interesting, and it's very clear that the Egyptians have won, and that the children yeah. are all going to go away safely. Um, it's not nowhere near as hectic as in the books, where they're all fighting out on an open kind of plane, and the children yes, are then having right. to wander out into the cold without really knowing where they're going. Mm-hmm. So it's more neatly wrapped up in a nice little bow. Yeah, Lyra and Roger then get into Lee Scoresby's balloon with no explanation as to why. Good <laughs> point. <laughs> Like, Excellent point. What, wait, what, what? It's because what? Lyra has to go and save her father. Yes, and Roger wants to come along. So the new question is, why is Roger here? Yes. Not why is Lyra here, but yes. why is Roger here? What, like, if, if Lyra is there, like, that's that's questionable. Again, Roger, it could have just been, like, on. you know, two seconds to say she's come all this way to, to, to see him, you know. No, 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 but I think that's, I think that's you fine. I mean? You can just infer that. Yeah, the yeah, Roger yeah. bit... Makes no sense because in the book. No, no, I mean, I mean, Lyra's come on this way to save Roger, and now she saved him. Oh. They like, you know, no one wants to split them up again. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Just weak. But in the books, the explanation makes way more sense in that she's still being attacked, and yeah. Lee Scoresby effectively. Saves them and yeah. you know just rips them out of there, yeah. and then they get blown away on a wind, so they can't. Mm. Yeah, it's not like a choice. Oh yeah, let's take Roger to Svalbard. Just. <laughs> <laughs> He's not been through enough. It's, it's, I think he's got yeah. some fight in him still. It's a bit random. <laughs> the balloon aesthetic, by the way, mm. not at all how I imagined it, but really? very good. Well, I imagined the classic wicker basket. Oh, yeah, me too. But then I think there's a flaw in that, in that it definitely is described as having a lot of instruments like altimeters or altimeters or altimeters, whatever the altitude meter is. Yeah. And all sorts of other dials about pressure and gas yeah. gauges and shit, which is in it. And mm. I quite like that. But yeah, I, I just I just like the general aesthetic of the balloon. I think whoever designed that is has done really well. True. It looks cool. Yeah, it, it was good. I like that Yorick's size in proportion to the rest of the balloon. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Yep. Very, yep. very good. Mm-hmm. Um, I also love Roger's meeting of Yorick. That yep. made me laugh a lot. Yeah, and he's yeah. like, okay, it's <laughs> not quite what I expected. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's really good. Uh, excellent acting again from Lou and Lloyd. Um, such a fan of, of Lou and Lloyd. Uh, it's doing very, very well here. So Roger and Lyra are then cozy in the balloon um, and it kind of quickly falls to night time and they're kind of dozing and Seraphine Pecola appears to Lee Scoresby and I'm so happy for the scene. I was waiting for it for a long time. Um, I quite like how Seraphina gives some exposition about Lyra's role and mm-hmm. the prophecies that the witches have about her how she's described as her role being to create and resolve conflict and i also really liked how lin-manuel miranda played this scene where they're talking about his yeah. his role the fact that he came on with egyptians for a specific contract and his contract has now changed so he needs a new contract and all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff and seraphina kind of cuts through that quite clearly i would have liked to have seen a bit more of the sort of philosophical discussions between Lee and Seraphina that we get in the books. Yeah. But I quite like the energy that Lin Manuel Miranda brought to this because I was kind of nervous based on the way that he played his first episode, which was just a, a different kind of energy as I was expecting from, from Lee. Mm-hmm. But we see here he's got a maturity, he's got a kind of um, concern and gravity and anxiety about him, I guess. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I, I like that they included a small bit of a man should have a choice whether or not to take up arms. Yeah. But there's then a bit more of that kind of back and forth in the book that yes. would have been, I don't know, it again, would have felt weird nice here, to include, but you yeah. know, they have to cut stuff. Yeah. Um, was she just flirting with him? Or is oh. that just her general, oh, I'm a supernatural being? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't tell if they were almost setting this up potentially as a romance between the two of them. I don't think I don't think so. Well, that's just. Like, I think it's just because my, sh- my shoulders out on your balloon. I think it's just because because they both look good in the scene. All right, <laughs> cool. Seraphine says something like, "Your demons checking me out." But yeah, that's not quite that. Yeah, but I think that's more because Hester's just seen her murder a lot of people. Cool, or oh, because she's a witch. 
The implication was that they kind of knew each other as well, though, right? Yeah, that's true, which is confusing. Yeah, but then, you know, Yurik and Lee, so sure. Maybe. Why not throw in the witches? Why not? Why yeah. not? Yeah, it was a great scene, though. I enjoyed it a lot. And I like that we're getting Lee now basically seeing his mission as him taking care of Lyra. Yeah, that was great. That spelled out a bit too openly for me in terms of uh, like, no, I was not... meant to be here for a contract but now I'm here for love yeah, yeah. glancing over at, at you know yeah. at Lyra I did like the making it painfully clear though that Lyra is super important mm. Lyra is in your care yeah you have a super important job yes because in the books that isn't really <laughs> like dwelt on like the obvious bits yeah that I didn't like. <laughs> no that was good that was good it's like oh yes oh yes <laughs> Lee is the guardian Ooh. Um, no cloud pine no cloud pine. No cloud pine. You were wrong. Fucking you were hell. Wrong. No cloud pine. God damn it. It's in her pocket or something. What are they doing? Up a bum or something. Yeah. <laughs> 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 canon. <laughs> now absolutely canon. Yeah. Don't know. Why not? What like? <sighs> That's why witches famously never fart. Why have they done that? I don't know. Why have they done that? I don't know. Hey, where's the cloud pine? So how are they going to pull CGI the balloon? And, nah, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> no bow and arrow either. Although the well, arrow was there, so I'm, I'm holding she out. She shoots it from her like wrist like Spider-Man or something. Yeah, yeah. That'd yeah. be good. So other people who don't have cloud pine, the Egyptians. <laughs> back, on, uh, back on ground level. Yeah. I quite like the fact that we pan back to them and get a yes. bit of... Yep, they still exist after this yeah. episode. So John Farr and Mark Oster, as as the kids are sort of lined up and then like marched out, presumably yeah. back towards home. Yeah, they they have a bit of a conversation about how, in spite of the fact that they weren't able to save Billy, mm-hmm. they have been able to save um, you know dozens, mm-hmm. uh, seemingly of other children. Yeah, and while John Farr considers that a bit of a failure, Mark Oster is more on the side of well, no, because now we can reunite them with their families. Blah blah blah. Yeah. Blah. Um, and they do yeah. have a bit of a conversation about the fact that some families wouldn't welcome mm. their kids home or wouldn't be able to welcome their kids home in this state, which I like because, again, I sort of bitched mm. about that last time. Um, but I do enjoy that they brought them back in. Yeah. Um, and they'd become Egyptian, the home of the outlawed yeah. or the cast-outs or yeah. outcasts. That's outcasts. The word. <laughs> <laughs> outlawed yeah. cast-outs. Egyptians. Yeah. <laughs> It was, uh, so yeah, I like that they followed up, because in the books you just don't kind of hear from the Egyptians again for like two books. <laughs> but equally, it felt slightly pointless. <laughs> slightly, but I don't know, I like their general like chat was kind of, yes, like obviously you're going to go and take the kids home, wouldn't you? I thought yeah. it was quite a nice little scene. Yeah, it was, it was nice. I but, noticed yeah. as we pan out, as the camera kind of like moves away from that scene, um, this is a kind of aerial shot, and you see John Farr and Mark Oster holding hands. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Mm. So my speculation about if it's romantic setup, or if there's some kind of allusion to a kind of relationship there between those two, mm-hmm. this seems to strengthen it, especially since it's after they were talking about Billy. Yeah. I don't know. I think a lot of people have had speculations about if John Farr could be Billy's father, for instance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Irrespective of all of that speculation, uh, it, it was just a really nice scene. It showed their relationship very strongly and it's mm. yeah it, it ties it up as well which the books sort of don't the books yeah. just kind of leave the Egyptians to it and you're like okay I assume they're good okay no. bye <laughs> so we then jump back to the balloon having tied up the neat little Egyptian bow yes and um, Lee is basically very distracted by whirring dials and uh, crickly crackly noises from what outside what do you think the whirring dials is so I thought the whirring dials was the balloon dropping an altitude or going up in altitude one, one or the other Oh, I thought one of them was a compass. Oh. I might I might have been misreading that, but my thought was, oh, is this them drifting into one of the other worlds in the Arctic, or are they flying through the Northern Lights and, like, the the matter between the worlds is thin here or something, and it's, like, oh. throwing off the scientific instrument? I don't know, no. I don't, uh, yeah. I don't know. I took it at first as being, like, something otherworldly is happening. Yeah, no, I, think it's, I think it's just altitude dropping. Why was he so, like, he looked really because confused. Because what, like, why would the altitude be dropping? I have a long-winded explanation for this, though, which <laughs> is basically the altitude's dropping because there's a ton of cliff glass hanging on the balloon, and that's what lowers the balloon enough that when Lyra falls out, she doesn't die. Yeah, that's true. Because they must they must lose height, otherwise she'll just instantly be that dead. That makes way more sense. That makes way more sense. So that yeah, that's what okay. I'm going to say anyway. Okay, yeah, that's, that sounds proper. <laughs> uh, so yeah, then there's this excellent but slightly creepy scene of something attacking or about to attack the balloon from the outside and so well having done. to get his pistol dart ready and Lyra wakes up and he's like, shh, 
all that stuff. Yeah. It's great. I was thinking up until he actually fucked shit up with the pistol, like, don't shoot next to loads of gas. Oh, yeah, bad idea. Mm. Terrible idea, Lee. Yep, yep, yep. yep. You should be a a sword fighter, not a gunslinger. But he's a better shot than he used to be. (laughs) 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 Or whatever your ex says in a non-German accent. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What did you think of the cliff gas? Hmm. They'll do. They'll do, will they? Yeah. Okay. But I always imagine them as much more like... Uh, big ugly gargoyle bats. Yeah, leathery, me too. leathery wings. Yeah, me too. Made of like skin. They sort of have leathery wings in this though, but they have a furry body. Yeah, the white furry body it makes sense. They're polar, Arctic. Yeah. Blah 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 blah. blah. But um, I also imagine them as huge bats. Yeah, I thought they would have slightly more. I don't know, a face more like if a bulldog had sex with a bat. Yeah. Than the face they gave it. Well, if if the Shadow of Mordor wasn't an obscure enough reference yeah. for you, if anyone ever watched Darkwing Duck. Wow. No idea what that is. No, wait, it's not Darkwing Duck. <laughs> I'm going to have to look it up an even more obscure reference now. <laughs> yeah, sorry, actually, it's from Basil the Great Mouse Detective. Right. <laughs> Which is a Disney, Still don't film, know Disney film from a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And there's a character in that called Fidget, who is like a really gross bat, basically. Okay. Um, and he's really evil and creepy. And and yeah, it's just generally not not a not a good person. Right. Well, we'll That's link to always how I imagine link to fidgets and the <laughs> fidget in the show notes. Yes, yeah. we will. So, what, what did you think overall in terms whoa, of whoa 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 what? end end scene end scene end scene? So oh yeah shit yeah like <laughs> Lee shoots up Cliffgast, Yurik roars at them, and then for some reason this feels like bad balloon design despite oh, yeah. the excellent aesthetic. Part of the balloon just falls open, yeah. <laughs> and Lyra ends up falling out, hanging on for a bit, and then dropping into the darkness. Yeah, oh, I mean for Lee, just having been like this child's really born, oh, yes. and it's your job to protect her. Yep. Oh shit, you dropped her. Like being the ring bearer as a best yep. man. Yep. <laughs> and then dropping bit, the ring down a drain. A, a bit more important than that. Slightly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, Amy, what did you <laughs> what did you think of the episode? Uh, I actually really enjoyed it. Um, there was a lot this week. I feel like it it covered depths, but it was very very exciting. Still, as an mm-hmm. episode, there were a lot of scenes where loads of exciting things were going on. People having fights in corridors and action packed stuff, yep. but also just so many conversations that I can't wait to rewatch mm-hmm. and re listen to and kind of dive into. Um, there was yeah. a lot of extra random stuff as well. Mark Oster goes yes. psycho. Serafina can time travel or whatever that was supposed <laughs> to be. Um, yeah. There was a lot of new things, yeah. let's say that. Yeah, that's uh, true. Yeah. So what about your worst bit of the episode? So I've got a I've got a best bit and worst bit right. in one, which okay. you can probably guess at. I might guess Serafina superpowers. Okay. Simultaneously, best and worst. Schrodinger's <laughs> witch. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. I think... I unfortunately had the same thing for my worst as Serafina. Mm-hmm. I'm still not entirely sure that's really my worst because I did enjoy it greatly, but yeah. also uh, it raises too many questions for me as a fan. I'm not saying that there haven't been questions raised in this adaptation before that haven't been answered the next episode or dealt with in a satisfying way the next mm-hmm. episode, but yeah, I'm not sure how they're going to do that unless she's like, oh, Serafina drank a magic potion that one witch can only use once in her life. It means she can use superpowers. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm not sure how they're going to cover that. So, yeah, mm-hmm. anyway. How about your best bit? No, that oh, is it. Oh, yeah. Sorry, yeah, the same thing, same yeah. answer. Okay. Uh, for me, I'm going to say the demon cages scene with Mrs. Coulter and Lyra and Lyra being bundled into the cage and then oh, yeah, that, yeah. Whole, that whole thing. Yeah, so Ly- Lyra's near That's severance. Right. Yes, though I also really enjoyed the scene immediately after that with Lyra and Mrs. Cotter talking on the bed. I thought mm-hmm. that was beautifully, beautifully mm-hmm. played. Okay, cool. So cast... So I've got two. Okay. Seraphina for Scoresby chat and, you know, the superpowers. Yeah, <laughs> um, And it's getting a bit boring, but Ruth Wilson, because Mrs. Coulter, that that whole I'm your mother scene. Oh, yes. So good. In the bedroom. Very I'm good. Sorry. Yeah. 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 I also had Ruth Wilson immediately. Mm-hmm. I did think about putting uh, Ruta Gedmintus down because I did think her Serafina is really good. I'm enjoying a lot what she's doing with the character. I think she's bringing great poise to it. Um, but I didn't put it down. Sorry, right. sorry, Ruta. <laughs> um, I did put down, however, Lewin Lloyd mm-hmm. because I just I love him. I think he's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, he brought a lot to this, even from the comical moments of him being like, Yorick's really big, to his responses to seeing the children without demons. Sure. It was just beautiful. Yep. Yep. And my girl, Daphne Keane, mm-hmm. just bringing it every week. Bringing it every week. Bringing it I'm every just not, week. I'm going to refuse to uh, nominate her every week. So, you yeah, know, at some point I'll just nominate Cliff Gast 4. 
Mm. (laughs) Though, having said that, as if three nominations weren't enough, Mm. I was also sort of torn between adding Lin-Manuel Miranda on there as well, because when we were talking Mm. through the scene with with him and Serafina Pekula, Mm -hmm. oh, that was really good. Okay, but you're going with, you're going with what? I don't know. I don't know. I'll go for Lewin Lloyd and Lin-Manuel Miranda. All right, okay, cool. And then we've got our four Mixing for the nomination. Yeah, cool. <sighs> Not sure I'm confident on that, but that's fine. <laughs> and in terms of creative, I've got a simple one. A cool one? Uh, the balloon. Oh, yep. okay. Good. Yep. That was fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I also have a quite simple one this week, just the set, the whole set design of Bulbaya. Yeah, okay. I just thought it was really, really beautifully brought to light. It was kind of very creepy, but believable. Yeah, really mm-hmm. good. Really, really good. Should we keep it as two? Do you have any others? No. Okay, yes. Well, not that I've noted down, but yeah, so we'll, we'll, have, a, we'll have a 50-50. Yeah. Cool, Ooh, all right. It's going to be close run thing. Well, I think that brings us to the end of this episode of the Dark Material Podcast. Thanks for joining us. If you're not ready to step back into your own world yet, please visit our website at thedarkmaterialpodcast.com. You can also hit us up on your Lodestone resonators through Facebook at The Dark Material Podcast, Twitter at Dark Material Pod, and Instagram at The Dark Material Podcast. If you want to cut through to our world directly with questions or comments, we're also available at thedarkmaterialpodcast at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the Dark Material Podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. It helps other fans of his Dark Materials find the show. A special thanks to Jamin Pesord for the music on the Dark Material Podcast. You can find him at Karma Roulette on Instagram. We'll see you next time for Episode 7, The Fight to the Death. Ooh. And until then, don't forget to tell them stories. <laughs>